Welcome to War Room, the official podcast of the U.S. Army War College Online Journal, graciously supported by the Army War College Foundation. Please join the conversation at warroom.armywarcollege.edu. We hope you enjoy the program. Hello, and welcome to A Better Peace, the War Room podcast. I'm Jacqueline Whit. I'm a professor of strategy here at the Army War College and the War Room podcast editor. Thanks for joining us today. As we think about how the Department of Defense is organized, it's been a while since there's been a really massive change uh, in the creation of a new service. And that was, of course, the United States Air Force in 1947. And in the intervening years, there have been other important structural and cultural changes, including the creation of the Unified Combatant Command Structure and several others. And we've seen plenty of organizations sort of come and go in the meantime. In the past few years, how the U.S. military is organized for competition, operations, and potentially even war in space or in the space domain has been an important question. And most recently, the president has directed the creation of a separate space force, although we're still quite a few steps away from from having that in place, although the internet has been full of ideas for uniforms and logos and things like that. Um, I'm here with Lieutenant Colonel Andrew Diederich, who's a 2019 graduate of the U.S. Army War College. He is a field artillery officer in the Colorado National Guard and assigned to U.S. Northern Command. Um, But Andrew, and this is pertinent for today, is also a space officer. And so the first answer is yes, there are space officers in the U.S. Army, and Andrew is one of them. So Andrew, welcome to War Room. Well, thank you, Jackie. Thank you for having me. All right. So we may have already taught our audience something new today, but can you talk to us sort of very broadly about what's the problem that the military faces with space? Oh, absolutely. So the when we talk about space, one of the things that people have start with is that space is important. And that's mostly because space is important, which is a good reason that they talk about that. So we know that there's there's commerce that happens in space. That's we get your satellite TV from space. We've got satellite phones. We've got spy satellites that take pictures of things. That's we've got our GPS from from space. So it, it's important, and it, we would notice if it went away. I think half of the adults in the United States would not be able to drive to the grocery store mm. if your phone stopped giving you your map. Me included. I would I would be in that in that category. So space is important and useful, and it's important and useful not just for military purposes, um, maybe even not even most importantly, military purposes. Space involves all sorts of things that we do in our day-to-day lives. How else do we understand the space domain then? So the, the next thing after we, just, we say that it's important, because it is, is we've now noticed that it's contested. So just like our regular domains of air, land, and sea, and now the cyber domain, we have a space domain, and we see that there's more challenges there than there were in the past. For a long time, the United States and other folks who have gone to space have, we can do things and nobody kind of touches it. Your satellites keep orbiting the planet and it's fine. Mm -hmm. Because getting into space, putting satellites there, putting people up there, sustaining people up there requires tremendous amounts of technology and money. So that was a relatively small group of countries that could manage a space program. And that group is expanding and now includes private 
entities as well. Oh, absolutely. And in fact, even for the United States, the way we launch all of our satellites is we contract for it. We go to places like United Launch Alliance and SpaceX and Northrop Grumman, and that's, we hire them to put even our government satellites into space. All right, so space is important, and space is contested, and space, the capabilities that other countries and other entities have um, is sort of catching up, maybe. So why is space particularly important for the military? For many of the same reasons, and I might even argue all of the same reasons, that it's important for, for civilians. We use it for communication. We use it for targeting. And we rely on that for our operations. Now, we use it a little bit differently um, in some different areas than um, typically what you'd see for commercial entities. Uh, We spend more time with submarines under the Arctic Circle, so we need satellites to spend more time over the North Pole than you need. Than I do when I'm driving to the grocery store. Right. Not very useful to you driving to the grocery store. Totally useful to submarines. Okay. So what are then the the problems that the military sort of faces when it comes to to space? So we're really worried that somebody is going to touch our stuff. And so so that's where where some of that that contested piece comes in. So we worry about losing the ability to not launch new spacecraft, uh, to have have new satellites. We worry about losing uh, control or the ability to use the satellites that we have. And we also worry, as even as the military, about how the economics of the planet works. So we want to keep those same things, especially things like uh, GPS and, and communication, whether it's your TV dish um, out in the, the back of the house um, or your phone to get to the grocery store. We want those things to keep working. So when the discussion happens, it usually starts off with space is important. Got it. Space is contested. Well, okay. I, I, I understand that. And then, and I need a space force. And so it's that. That's a big jump. It is a big jump. Now, normally when we say space force, pew, pew, you need to throw up something like a pew, pew (laughs) on the end of it just to, just everybody really knows what you're talking about. So if, if we talk about how we get from space is important, space is contested, it's essential for military operations to we need a space force. What does that logic look like? So that's there's actually two things people talk about when they go to Space Force, and they usually miss the fact that they've passed the first one. So there's there's two things with space in the name that we kind of have going on in the Department of Defense. So we've got U.S. Space Com. So there's a Space Command uh, that's been recently stood up or re-stood up. And so that's a combatant command. And the the combatant commanders are those four-star generals, four-star admirals that report directly to the president. And they're in charge of the actual war fight and operations um, around the globe. And in the case of space, I guess it's really, really around the globe. And we used to have a SpaceCom, and then after 9-11, we kind of folded up SpaceCom, put it under Strategic Command, which also does, like, the nuclear mission, and to make way for U.S. Northern Command to protect North America. So combatant commands are worried about short-term things. So they're focused about three to five years out, and they can be created by the president. 
the no legislation needed. That's just how he organizes the the war fight. And this is a good thing. The reason for that is the, the Stratcom commander. He said, "I'm doing too much stuff. I would like somebody else to take care of mm-hmm. space." This is something you don't normally hear from four-star generals that report directly to the president no, usually, of the United States. Usually they're asking for more stuff. They are usually right? asking for more stuff. They almost never want to divest responsibility. It might have been the only time in his <laughs> career he ever said, could you take something away? Take something off I, I'm plate. doing too much. Okay, so Spacecom then sort of gets pulled out. From yes. Stratcom. Yes. So just how um, so Cybercom is similar. It's a sub unified command, so it's tied a little bit more to to Stratcom. Um, but what the reason that they wanted to do that from Stratcom's perspective is they weren't able to focus on it quite enough, and they they didn't really know how they wanted to operate. So there's a restructuring that had already been happening about the space capabilities in Stratcom. And now they're carrying some of that over to how to arrange mm-hmm. the actual operations. Something that we, we frequently miss about these combatant commands is most of them don't actually own the troops and the stuff that they've got to fight the war. It'll come right. from the United States. It's come from the services. Correct. It comes from the services. Which sort of train staff and equip the force. Exactly. And they provide forces to the to the combatant commanders. So this this gets this is we're actually not super in the weeds in terms of organization yet, but we could we could get there pretty pretty quickly. Um so if Spacecom is operating at, at this level and it's on on par with other really critical aspects of American national security and national defense. What is the argument that's made for why the United States then needs a space force that's separate from everything else? And and that's the one where it's it's sort of and then a miracle occurs and we and we need a space yes. force. We're gonna skip over the fact that Congress has to do some stuff. Do they still legislate? Yes, of course they still legislate. And the <laughs> um, so yes, that's a statutory thing to make a service. It's in law. So. Th- but we, we need to just remember that the president, he made Spacecom totally cool, totally within every authority he could ever possibly have. And and that's just how the Department of Defense is doing that operational yeah. thing. But they don't make new stuff. So they don't make new satellites. They don't look long term. Right. But we might need new satellites and we might need more satellites or different ones. And we need somebody to look long term in space. So is that is that the primary argument to create a space a space force is for long-term and acquisitions purposes. You're supposed to say pew pew at least a couple of times. At least a times. few times. Yeah. And make, we're probably supposed to make hand gestures right. as well. It's a little harder on a podcast, right. but yes. So, so that's the argument for why to do a space force. So a service needs to figure out what kind of satellites we need. They need to launch satellites. That uh, they need to operate them. They need to write doctrine for how all those things work together. They should integrate with other services on on how they will operate. And so the argument is that we need a space force to do that. Now, today, most of that is done by the Air Force, which 
and the army we're a big fan of because the air force pays for that stuff and then the army and is the you biggest can use it we are the biggest user of space <laughs> which is why we have army space officers See, we've come, we've come full circle. So the, the, those capabilities, that long-term vision acquisitions right now are under the United States Air Force. And that's, but all of the space, like you said, all the space capabilities and the personnel aren't in the Air Force. Would we expect if, if there was the creation of a space force, would we see all of the personnel and assets transferred over? to the space force like do you become a space force officer instead of an army officer that is it depends on who you ask so they've at least by 2017 back to there um there were some talks about making a space core so representatives mike rogers and jim cooper were talking about that and space is important and we need a space core to do that the idea is that um Though not explicitly said, is maybe the Air Force wasn't paying quite as much attention mm-hmm. to the space bet as the air bet, and so we needed to have them have their own. Well, the, playground. the Air Force also had an interesting relationship with the cyber domain, too. So as all of these sort of squishy domains that involve not the land and not the sea, the Air Force sort of got some of these other problems sort of thrown at it. But well, it, they're also technophiles. I mean, they really, technophiles, they really like uh, right, the techno stuff. Probably dance music, too. It's true. Um, so if there were a Space Corps, we might, we've got the Department of the Navy and the Marine Corps is, is a part of the Department of the Navy, but it operates basically independently. Um, would the space, would an imaginary Space Corps operate in the same way? So... That's one of the proposals. It's not the proposal that is in Congress today. So when the, the president sent the draft legislation to Congress to make a space force, it really only took the space operations officers and some acquisition folks and a little bit of the ops piece to go and put into a space force. Mm-hmm. So their admin pieces for who fills out forms for them or their logistics, who runs a base, where do their military police come from, space police? No, no, they don't get space police. They get security forces out of the Air Force. So that's they're not nearly as self-sustaining as the Marines are. When you walk into a Marine operations center, you see a whole lot of Marines, and you might see a Navy dock, and you might see a Navy chaplain. But they're actually dressed like Marines, too. Right. But everybody else is a, is a Marine. Everybody else is a Marine. Yeah. And so I think this is a, this is, these get to really interesting questions about organization and about culture and sort of what you want to create and why you need this, this capability. So if we understand that we need to pay attention to space, so space is important, if we understand that space requires specialization that people need to be experts in the in the domain. And if we understand that we need long-term thinking about space, is there somewhere in the middle between a space force and space com that helps fill that, especially that long-term thinking and expertise gap? So I, I think that we certainly need more space. That's I'm a space guy, so I guess it's not... Very surprising that I think we should have more of it. Um, I'm also an art- 
artillery officer, and I think we should have a cannon that shoots a thousand miles. You just want all of the things. I want all of the things. They've, but that's really a funding problem. So I think the Air Force is capable of reworking space doctrine. And if they have some more space professionals, they will be able to fill in those roles. Uh, that's one of the reasons that we talk about having a space force is we want people to focus. I want you to focus on the one thing that you do. And I'm going to do that by taking away space from the Air Force. I'm going to put it in the Space Force. Maybe I'll pull all the other spacey bits into the Space Force, but then you can you can focus because we should have one service for every domain. We have an Air Force, right? So, And we have an air domain. So that's how we focus those things. The biggest problem with that line of thought is it's not actually true. So we have an Air Force that does operate in the air. I have seen it. But we also have a Navy that has planes. They have fighters. They have attack aircraft. We have a Marine Corps that has planes. They have fighters. They have attack aircraft. We have an Army that has attack helicopters. So we don't really do one domain for one service. We have both Marines and an Army, both of which work in the land domain. We have a Coast Guard and a Navy, both of which work in maritime. And now we're even talking about having the Army be able to do kind of shore to ship artillery again mm -hmm. so so we don't really well do... in part because our the the domain boundaries are, are there are seams and gaps between domains there are places that that overlap um and there are there are differences right between the air force in the air domain and the air force capability and what marine fighters can do or what navy fighters um can do as well. So there are, there are, there are reasons for all of that sort of domain alignment and for the boundary squishiness, I guess. Right. And so, so you get both the, you do get some goodness out of a little bit of focus. We're fine in the army that the air force does air to air combat. We're, we're happy that they, they take care of that. Um, but we, Really also like it if they do close air support. That's also mm -hmm. important to me personally. That's same thing happens with space. So I like that the Air Force launches all the satellites. Great. I, I don't want to do it, and I'm happy that they do. But the Army actually has some of its own satellites. The Navy has some of its own satellites. We use them for communications. And the needs that we have for satellites are a little different than what the Air Force needs are the Navy's needs are a little different again. Um, and in fact, the Navy came up with uh, in a pre-GPS system called Transit. I mean, so the, the Navy was doing more geolocation mm -hmm. um, even before we have the GPS that is in everybody's right. phone. So those needs, those requirements coming from the services through other people's domains is normal. If we segregate all the space people off to a space force... They are less likely to go outside and be on an aircraft carrier or be in an army division. And be integrated with the places and the people who are using the assets that are in space. Absolutely. Because right now we're really not talking about like astronauts fighting in space. Right. So when the Mars colonies when, revolt when and we need happens, to fight against the, the Martian government, the bug-eyed monsters come... I want a space force. We may, in fact, that's need the, a space force. Yep, we may need a but space force. But that's not the conversation we're having. We're talking about people in the military who are um, using and protecting and thinking about assets in space and the use of space in, in a military context. 
Um, so given, again, where where's the, what are the changes maybe that maybe would need to be made to Spacecom to account for some of the the problems that combatant commands might have? So for, for Spacecom and how it would interact with the, the other combatant commands, uh, we're moving to a place where we're doing more campaign planning. So we've, we're moving to geographic um, combatant command campaign plans where the geographic commanders, so Central Command and Indo-Pacific Command and Northern Command, they all will work on plans that go across their boundaries. We used to be very territorial uh, because we are, and now we've realized that sometimes if you go on the other side of the line, there's another person there. Sometimes the things that they do on that side can affect where you are. Mm -hmm. So um, a popular example for where that's important is between India and Pakistan. Pakistan is in the physical domain where CENTCOM uh, is, and India is in Indo-PACOM. But sometimes those two countries interact. It turns out that the relationship between India and Pakistan is an important one and one that the United States wants to pay attention to. Absolutely. So those so those people are interacting more. And certainly things like cyber and space go are cross cross domain. Those aren't going to be determined by the geographic combatant command borders. Yes. And if you've got a satellite that's sitting out on the geosynchronous satellite kind of on the equator and it can talk to multiple things, most multiple continents, you have to be able to plan across. So what the combatant commands need to be able to do with each other through SpaceCom is figure out how those resources can be be used because there's only so much bandwidth in the universe. Um, they basically all work off radios, and we need to be mm-hmm. able to, to use those resources. So now then there's the how do you protect those things? Do we have the right kinds of satellites in space? So we tend to make really fancy satellites. So exquisite is a popular word. So they're really good-sized satellites that can do stuff really, really well. Well, what happens if you lose a satellite, but you only have one or two? And if you and have, they're exquisite and expensive to replace. They're exquisite and expensive, yes. Well, you might want to look at another model. So they're already looking at models where we have um, bulk. So if I've got... 10, 20, 30 satellites that are smaller, easier to replace, a little cheaper, good enough, enough, then I can worry less about the one that I need to have and it needs to be working all the time. Mm -hmm. And this is, that's a service responsibility. I mean, this is an old problem. Like this is the difference between German tanks and Soviet tanks in the Second World War, right? The German tanks are exquisite and when they break, they're useless. And the Soviet tanks, there's a ton of them. And you can keep them going for a really long time. Absolutely. So we, so we want to look at those resiliency things. I think the Air Force is capable of doing that. So that's because we haven't really defined what we want to have out of a space force and how it would really work and how it would really operate. I think putting it into statute right now before we've really thought that through, mm-hmm. you don't want to get 
And so you need Congress to be on board because right. they fund stuff. But Congress could also fund these activities in the Air Force. So if we think we need more satellites or more people or more stuff, more launches, et cetera, those, those can be funded through current mechanisms. There's no requirement for a separate Space Force. Absolutely. And if Congress wants to make sure that that money is dedicated to space, they can write that down. Th- that can actually mm-hmm. be part of the, the authorizations and appropriations. You know, that's fence it off. You know, they, they can direct DOD to have more space professionals in, and across in the different services. They can make more Army space officers. Mm-hmm. They, can, they can do those things because they're Congress. That's, they're really good at, at writing laws because that's their job. So if we imagine um, the world sort of five or 10 or 20 years out, you can pick that, you can pick the timeline. Um, what would you say are the greatest um, sort of challenges and opportunities for the United States when it's thinking about the relationship to DOD organization and space? So some of the, the greatest challenges that we're looking, say, uh, 20 years out is we'll can continually, I hate using the word continually. So we need to take a look at how to integrate the space that we've got. And we've been doing that. So when I I started as a space officer, one of the first things you do is you want to try to normalize what you do. That's you want to be the only person who knows something, but you want the, the signal guys. So your, your communications peoples to understand what those, those capabilities are and use them. Well, you need your targeting people to understand what the space capabilities are and use them well and sort of normalize that. But we also need to know what happens in a degraded environment. So maybe one of our exquisite satellites is blinking on and off, which is unfortunate. Can't reboot it that easily, perhaps. Yes, that's it's a long reach no, for the on-off no unplugging off it, plug it back in. You can't tell if the yeah. blinking lights are still blinking. It's because it's a long way away. That's hard. So we need to um, figure out what we, how we want to continue to evolve our space capabilities so which is really going to be along the lines of communications uh, that's and and targeting and intelligence those are the the things we we tend to use for it Um, we aren't really pushing for um, actual space war because space war is messy we, we really we don't, don't know a like lot about it <laughs> that we don't want any more space junk. We have plenty. Thank yeah. you. So all sorts of um, questions. It sounds like your your conclusion is that we that there's too much uncertainty about what the United States wants to do in space, how it wants to operate in space in order to make sort of radical structural changes at this point so i i think that the place where we're we're risky is we're too reliant on few things so we we need some more resiliency baked in so whether that's more satellites rather than exquisite satellites if we're worried about um launch is a problem we need to look on how to either make launch mobile or defend launch sites or if it's too expensive you know continue down some of the reusable um, launch like Mm -hmm. spacex and others have um, or just make non-reusable ones cheaper is is another way to do that but we need to see how how those are before we go and 
put off another service. Because one of the other weird things about having a Space Force and a Space Com is then we have a service with mostly one combatant command customer. We don't do that anywhere else. We don't have an Air Force and an Aircom that controls operationally all of our air right. assets. We don't have a Landcom to do all of our land battles. We don't have a Cyber Force and a Cybercom. So it, it then starts to get really weird. This to distinction think, between the services and the combatant commands and who does what would be sort of called into, would have to be sort of renegotiated, I guess. Absolutely. So th so then the danger is they go off into their little unlit windowless building. They never talk to anybody and mm -hmm. nobody ever knows what they've done. And then you lose the integration. You completely in lose the integration. Good. All right. So I think we've got lots to lots to think about. Andrew, thanks so much for coming uh, to War Room. We will continue to watch the news and to learn more about space, but also to think uh, deeply about the organization of the DOD and how its um, how its organization, how its culture affects its mission. So thanks for joining me here at the War Room. Thanks for letting me nerd. If you've enjoyed this podcast and want to hear even more great content, subscribe to A Better Piece, the War Room podcast at iTunes, Google Play, or your favorite subscription service. And that concludes our program. Thank you for listening. The views expressed in this podcast reflect those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the views, policies, or positions of the U.S. Army or the Department of Defense. Let us know what you think. Provide us your feedback, comments, or suggestions through our webpage at warroom.armywarcollege.edu. And have a great day.